0: One last time to hear the siren, man. That was um, written, acted, film produced by folks here at the harbor and all. They did a great job for us on that. One last time to get to see that. I cannot tell you how excited I am to get to do this with my bride, Marie. Several reasons for that. Yes, yes, yes. I'll introduce you. I'll walk off stage, and you'll be even happier about that. <laughs> Uh, a couple of reasons I'm excited about it. One is uh, in our family, she's clearly the most gifted, pure teacher in the family. But secondly, this, this message today, as we sang the line, um, lives healed, hope found here now, Jesus, you change everything. I mean, that's the essence of what could happen this very morning. And no one knows more about this subject that I know than my wife, Marie. Uh, Partly she has a a master's in biblical counseling, Partly because she's worked on this so much in her own life for years. Partly because 12 years she's worked with other people, including this area, a great deal. So I'm excited about about having her teach this. In fact, the message is basically hers, and I'm just borrowing part of it today. Um, let, Let me give us some background to set this up. Let me take you back. By the way, the subject is survival strategies. I want to take you back to week two of the series. I was teaching about identity, and I said, according to God... We have one of only two identities. According to God, according to Jesus, we're either lost or we're found. To be lost means that we have not yet trusted our life to Jesus Christ. That means we're lost. To be found means we have trusted Him. Under the lost category, I said these are some things that are true about one who's lost A sinner, slave, prisoner, guilty, condemned, separated from God. You know, tough, tough message. But the good news is, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I've never yet trusted Jesus, He is seeking you out right now what you said. He has come to seek you out and to save you as well, to make you found as well. And those that watch this on video as the week unfolds, He, he is seeking you out in the moment that you'll see this, if you're lost. He longs to save you as well. He longs to save you. To be found means these things, these profound things. It means you are a child of God. You are loved. You're accepted. You're a masterpiece. You're a new creation. You're holy without fault. And you're complete. The Sunday I taught about it, my good friend Raymond Butler came up on stage with me. And he told this story, and he said 21 years ago, he authentically trusted Jesus. I've known him all these years. He authentically trusted Jesus. But he said for 20 of those years, he never felt any of this was true about him. He never felt loved. He never felt accepted. He never felt he was a masterpiece in God's eyes. He never felt that. Never felt it until the 21st year. And part of it was because he began to understand his identity, but there was something much deeper than that which is where we're going today, something much, much deeper than that that will help us in this area. So, so Marie, would you give us some background that would help us begin to understand where we're going?
1: Okay. Well, we're each born with physical needs. We need air, food, water, and shelter. And if those needs are not met, then we cannot live and grow as God intended. While our physical needs are crucial, God has also placed in us emotional needs that are every bit as important to our well-being. They can be summed up as these three. First, we have a need to be loved unconditionally. We each have a longing to be loved and accepted apart from our performance. We want someone who will still love us, even when they know all our faults. Our second longing is to feel significance. We want our life to have significance and purpose. We want someone who cares about our condition and someone who's willing to be involved in our lives. Our third need is to have a sense of security. We want to feel safe and live without fear. We want someone who provides that security no matter what, the circumstances. We also want someone whose promises we can trust. It is only when these three emotional needs, love, significance, and security are fulfilled that we can fully function as God designed us. Typically, we look to other people or our circumstances or things in order to get these needs met. It's certainly true that God often uses people to meet these needs, but people will always disappoint us. We are incapable of filling another's deepest needs. Scripture is clear that these needs are provided in Christ the very moment we choose to follow him. Ultimately, God created us to depend on him to be the provision for these longings. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I know that Christ has given me a new life, but sometimes I wonder, where is the abundance? I don't mean material abundance but that life that is rich in joy and peace and feeling loved and significant? Why on many days do I just look and act like a person who doesn't follow Christ? Well, this may be one of the explanations. In becoming followers of Christ, we experience a new spiritual birth. But we often find ourselves still stuck in some of our old ways, back on that lost side. We get new spirits and a new heart but not new brains, okay? It's as if we've been buried with Christ and raised in new life, but we are still hanging on to some of the baggage that we had hoped to leave in the grave. These old ways are our survival strategies. They're the unique ways we cope with life circumstances when we're under pressure. It's a condition where my primary focus is on myself as I live out of my own resources in order to meet my needs, our survival strategies are often the barrier that keeps us from living out, of the, out the gifts that we are be- given in becoming a child of God. All the things that were on the lost, the found column. Mm-hmm. They tend to pull us away from God rather than depend on God. Well, where do they come from? As a child, we look to our parents to meet these three emo- emotional needs. Our parents and relatives and siblings made us feel loved and significant and secure, or maybe not. As we grew older, we looked to our peers and other significant people in our lives for our acceptance and worth. And along the way, we developed these strategies for living. Some call them our coping skills or our old ways. These survival strategies actually serve a purpose. They have actually helped us to survive this life. But the downside is they also become that barrier that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life God intends for his children. Some of them actually look pretty good and others are obviously undesirable. But any of them can be causing great damage in our relationships. Torn McCoy specializes in the study of toxins at NASA. He has mentioned that there is one particular toxin, cadmium, that can be unknowingly present in a person's body for many years and all the while doing deep damage. The person has no sense of awareness that the toxin is present until the damage becomes so severe it has become deadly. We can live with survival strategies a long time without being aware of the damage being done. In fact, they can become so enmeshed in our personalities that we automatically default to them in times of stress. Apart from a Sunday like this that addresses these, we could depend on these strategies for years. But there's great hope for you today if you might recognize some of these in your life. I became a Christ follower when I was 28 years old. Long time ago. (laughs) Second to my salvation, this knowledge of my survival strategies has had the biggest impact in my spiritual walk, especially on a daily basis. While there are many different survival strategies, Rick and I will discuss six of them, the more common ones, and there'll be a more complete list of a couple dozen uh, of them on the church website on Tuesday.
0: The first one we'll talk about is that of escape. It's, it's trying to escape the, the pain from not feeling loved and the pain from not feeling significant or the pain of not feeling that you're secure. And so it basically it's, it's, a, it's a patch. It's trying to cover up something. Some of the things we might escape to, clearly they look bad. It can be sex or pornography or alcohol or drugs. We know those look bad, yet those are, are common escape means for many people. They can look neutral. It can be escape to TV or movies or video games. Some can actually can look really good, and yet they still are escape efforts. It it can be escape in work, by this excessive work that you bury yourself in. It can even be escape into religious activity that is simply trying to run and hide from the pain you feel. It can be be, uh, played out by withdrawal, in essence, you're trying to escape you know, the pain that you might feel as well. Kevin spoke about this so, uh, so well last week about isolation and withdrawal. And, and he said so clearly that for him, he was trying to, to escape um, and mask over his, his lack of security, his lack of safety in his life. And, and so maybe for you, it might be withdrawal. Can you relate to any of these? In Scripture, King Solomon was a master at these, he wrote the short book of Ecclesiastes. At one point, he says, I, I, I sought to find uh, my completion, your know, love, significance, security, and wisdom. I pursued that to find it lacking. Then I pursued pleasure, and I found it lacking. Then I pursued wisdom and found it lacking. I pursued wealth and found it lacking. He, he tried all of these things to escape the pain he was feeling. At the end, he would say, it's all futile. It is all futile. Can you relate to that one? The second is the accumulation of possessions, and the way it usually plays out is in one of two areas. If if you're struggling for security, you might turn to the accumulation of possessions, particularly your bank account, just to be obsessive about growing it larger and larger and larger. It may be obsessively trying to grow your retirement funds larger and larger and larger. There's there's wisdom in certainly in having a bank account and having appropriate funds and wisdom in the appropriate retirement funds, this would be just the excessive. There's, there's no amount that's quite enough, but you might be, you might be uh, in this cu- accumulation uh, strategy that you're pursuing. Uh, if you also, if you're feeling the lack of significance, this might look for you uh, like the house you've chosen to live in or the car you've chosen to drive, the jewelry that you wear, the vacation that you take, all in a sense of if I can just have enough, I can just show enough that I finally will feel significance in my life. Can you relate to that one? Rich young ruler was one in the Bible, this man who was young, he was rich, he came to Jesus. He had the right question. He said, what do I have to do to get eternal life? It's the biggest question there is. What do I have to do to get eternal life, to have heaven one day? And Jesus knew his heart, and Jesus looked at him and said, it's very simple. You need to sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and follow me, and heaven's yours. He couldn't do it. He walked away with his possessions, with his riches. He couldn't do it. He was hanging on to that survival strategy. A third is performance. It's this endless drive to be the best. It's this pursuit of perfection, which is never achieved. It's setting unrealistic standards. It's covering, covering for the pain of not feeling significance, thinking that if I can just be good enough, just accomplished enough, I finally will feel that significance. The Apostle Paul, was a, he was a model of this before he met Jesus. And his was this religious pursuit. He was determined he would be at the top of the food chain in religion. And he made it. He was there. And yet it wasn't enough. This one, this performance, is my predominant survival strategy I can tell you when it started. Six years old, first grade. I decided then I, I was gonna try to be top of the food chain, top of the class, and then that, that, that ran the entire way through my public school years. It ran all the way through my college years. Ran seven years through my work years. Seven years through my work years. This, this was what I strove for, and there was, there was never enough performance. It never satisfied. There was this ongoing insatiable hunger this unquenchable thirst, this search for significance. Can you relate to that? Is that one of your survival strategies?
1: Well, Rick got a lot of praise in first grade because he was the only one that could speak English. He was in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: so I thought I was brilliant. <laughs> I made hundreds, and, but by second grade, they were fluent in two languages, and <laughs> I can still speak one. So who was really smart there? So. <laughs>
1: Well, a fourth survival strategy is the caretaker. A caretaker is often overprotective and will take responsibility for others' feelings. They tend to make decisions for others and are often referred to as rescuers. Is this survival strategy one that you relate to? Martha is probably the most common biblical example of a caretaker. While taking on the responsibility of preparing a meal for Jesus and and their friends, she did it with the wrong heart. This led to her even questioning Jesus about her sister's lack of help. Jesus replied, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, or any caretaker, is simply looking for significance. Caretakers have a need to be needed. A fifth survival strategy is to be anxious. This is one of the most common survival strategies. An anxious person worries and has no peace. We do live in a difficult world, and there are countless things to worry about. Many anxious people are fretting over the past, thinking, if only I had done this or not said that, or they're anxious about the future and dwell on what if this happens or what if this doesn't happen. Worrying gives them a false sense of control. Some may even say it's their job to worry. Do you identify with this survival strategy? You see, when we worry, we feel like we're actually doing something about the problem, but that's a lie. Pilate is an example of a New Testament ruler who struggled with being anxious. At Jesus' trial, Pilate experienced extreme anxiety over the opinions of all of Rome, the Jewish people, and even what his own wife thought— He asked for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. He had no peace as he proceeded to then hand Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Do not worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough trouble of its own. If we say we trust Christ with our very lives, then why would we not trust him with every moment and every circumstance of our life? The final survival strategy we'll discuss today is the pleaser. I imagine some of you can relate, as this is also a very common strategy for living. This person has a difficulty saying no, and they have trouble setting boundaries. A pleaser will often attempt to keep everyone happy and maintain the peace at all cost. Pleasers are looking to fill their need for acceptance through others. In the Old Testament, King Saul struggled with this survival strategy. He had been clearly told by the Lord to wait for Samuel, but because he didn't want to disappoint the people, he gave in to their demands instead. He sacrificed what he knew to be what was right in his heart to do in order to keep the peace of the people. This survival strategy tops my list. When I was young, I enjoyed people's acceptance and smiles when I eagerly responded to any request, and I still do today. But even in high school, people-pleasing had become such a pattern for me that I had begun to resent people for even asking me to do anything. I cannot bear to say no to any request other than something illegal, (laughs) unless I had a good explanation for refusing. It would destroy me to disappoint others. People pleasing was my version of that toxin cadmium, and it was draining the life out of me. Let me be clear, anyone can ask you for anything, I had not yet learned that I could assert myself and still be a Christ follower. I had not yet learned that every need is not a calling. I was miserable because I felt I was living by everyone else's agenda and had no life of my own. But it was no one's fault but mine. My thinking had become very distorted. I was stuck in the lie that my worth came from how well I could please others.
0: Hmm. Scripture says that there are only two ways we can attempt to find love, significance, and security, only two ways. One of them is to lean into, press into our survival strategies. The other is to press into God and His truth. So, Marie, tell us what it looks like to begin to walk away from a survival strategy.
1: Well, as I said, by being a pleaser, I was attempting to get my need uh, for love met through other people. My salvation scripture is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by cra- grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I knew I was saved apart from my performance, and that is what brought me to Christ, freedom from performance. But for 20 years, it's as if the Lord has shaved off the layers to gradually reveal a deeper understanding of what that scripture means in regards to my attempts to please others, especially at different seasons of my life. The truth is my acceptance ultimately comes from God. I have to ask him to show me by his Holy Spirit what to do and what not to do. I've learned to pray before making any commitment with my time. I have to ask myself, what is my motive in saying yes? Is it to just have a temporary sense of acceptance and a smile? Or is it to avoid the pain of letting someone down? Or could it be that it is something I genuinely want to do and I can do it with no expectations of acknowledgement or thanks? Changing my thinking and my behavior took a whole lot of effort. And for me, it was extremely painful I had found my identity in doing for others for many years, as long as I could remember. When I first learned to say no, I remember at one point begging Rick to let me call a person back and say I changed my mind and I could say yes. It's true. (laughs) The emotional pain of disappointing someone was harder than physically doing whatever I was asked to do. And let me repeat that. The emotional pain of disappointing someone was harder than physically doing whatever I was asked to do. But God has been faithful. The world didn't end when I finally learned to say no. My friends didn't disappear, at least not the ones who genuinely cared about me. The truth is I will disappoint others in my life. I must cling to the knowledge that my acceptance comes from the one who made me and who just loves me.
0: As I said, my survival strategy, the predominant one, has been performance. Uh, 27 years of my life, that's all that I knew, but in my 27th year, God stopped me short. I had just gotten a major promotion, and, and I was uh, shocked and concerned about how quickly the thrill wore off. I, two weeks later, the thrill was completely gone, and I found myself mapping out the next promotion. and. And, and I allowed myself, and I think it was God's prompting, I allowed myself to think beyond that one and the next one. I, I began to think to the end of my life, and I, and I thought if I got every single thing I dreamed of, I had this sense it wouldn't be enough. And that led me to ask fresh again, is there really a God? Is there a God behind all this? It, it led me to ask fresh again, is Jesus really the Son of God? Did He really die on a cross? Did He really rise from the dead is he really offering to forgive my sins, give me a new life? I spent three years in the search of that. Um, I'm not very good. It takes me a while, but it took three years in the search of that. But when I finally bowed before Christ and said, My life is yours, uh, it was crystal clear my significance would be in him. And so instantly, at least at this time, instantly, I. Uh, I didn't give a rip about performance after that, about, about promotions after that. My, my drive was simply to do my job well. No, no conflicting goals about how my promotions might come as I do it well, just simply to do my job well. My company got a lot more out of me then in that season. So I ran the season through work, work about seven more years, and, and it wasn't a problem, but I'm a repeat offender of this. So when I'm about to go to seminary, uh, the two or three months before that, I switched back into performance mode again. Same survival strategy. It's all I'd ever known with school. It was always, I'm I'm going to be top of the class. And, And so that became my drive thinking about the opening classes. Fortunately, God caught me up short just a day or two before classes began. And he said, Rick, I don't want you to even look at grades. I want you to learn everything I brought you here for. Everything I brought here, I want you to learn that. At that time, that was enough. I could let go of that and just simply learn what God brought me there for. But I'm a repeat offender. So I became a pastor. The first six years of being a pastor, there are probably not six times after teaching that I went home and felt like I did an adequate job. Half a dozen years, half a dozen times. The other times I went home thinking I, I fell short, I fell short, I fell short. And somewhere in those six years, God began to sink into my heart, Colossians 2.10, that says you're complete through your union with Christ. You're complete just because you're united with him. You don't need anything else. You don't need performance. And that began to sink in deeply. And so about 15 years ago, I began this practice, which I do to this day. In fact, I will do it this very day. Some, sometime on the day I teach, I will get alone with God, and I ask him one question, what do you think about what I just taught? What do you think? And I, I've begun to understand, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what friends, family think. All that matters is what God thinks. And There's been massive freedom in that. Right? Freedom from performance, just simply to try to follow God's lead, give him my best and then ask him, how did you feel about that? And so now I've got a good run going But I have to watch because I'm a repeat offender of it. But that's how God has walked me through that in different seasons of my life.
1: It's a hard, stressful, and unstable world. And it is in this world that we often experience rejection from others. Yet God freely offers to his children love, significance, and security. If we follow him, we no longer need to look to other people, things, and circumstances rather than worship creatures and created things we can choose to worship our Creator rather to, to depend on our strategies and do life our way we can surrender each one to the Lord and allow him to begin a work in us and teach us a new way his way we need God we need God satan wants to fool us into thinking other people or things can fill our need for love this is not passive but takes a lot of work we have to change our thinking and what we believe to be true we have to identify the lies we believe and replace them with scriptural truth this takes intentional time and study it's part of working out our salvation it involves the risk of changing a behavior and trusting God with the outcome. In fact, it can take as long as four years to change your thinking. Remember, we receive new spirits and new hearts, but our minds are still in process. One thing to keep in mind is during times of intense stress or even life change, as Rick mentioned, we may revert back to some of our old ways. During Harvey, I really struggled with all the requests for help that came to us. The pleaser came back with a vengeance. I felt false guilt for being unable to do all I really would have liked to have done. It took me completely off guard as I thought I had put that strategy back in the grave. When we surrender these strategies, we're no longer slaves to the old ways of getting our needs met. In surrender, we become dependent on Christ rather than on others. God is then free to work through us in ways we never dreamed.
0: Here is the truth. Please hear this. Apart from God, the search for love is futile. Apart from God, the experience of significance is fleeting. Apart from God, the experience of security is fragile. The degree to which you let God influence your your sense of love Significance and security will largely depend upon how big you know God to be. How much you understand the infinite power that He has, how much you understand the infinite knowledge, how much you understand His unending love, how much you understand how deep His grace is. How big you see God to be will largely affect how much you can hear God's voice and recognize His voice is more important than the cumulative voice. Of all humanity. How big do you see God to be? I give you a simple illustration. At at my one year anniversary of working in the oil business, it was the day before I would marry Marie, I was giving a, a, a presentation to the executives of the company. And I knew going in, it'd be a very controversial presentation. I knew going in that the moment I began to unfold what I had to say, there'd be people who would sit up straight in opposition. to so I knew all that. And normally, I would be shaking in my shoes. To my surprise, I found I had complete peace, complete calm, complete confidence. It shocked me. When I was done, I, I was reflecting on that, and I, I understood why. The next day, I was marrying, I should more importantly say, someone was choosing to marry me who I considered the most important person on the planet. I, I found that if this person believed in me that much, loved me that much, I could find significance, I could find security, I could find love in that. And, and, and I did for the season. A week. But <laughs> a week.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is hard to do, but uh, <laughs> she's just human. She's just human, and no human being can carry that weight for long. Only God can carry that weight. How big do you see God to be? The truth we find in Scripture, and Marie and I would urge you to begin building a list of Scriptures that will speak the truth into your world about your survival strategies. We want to give you a jump start today. We're going to take the topics of love, significance, and security. We're going to give you some verses about those. So I would urge you, there'll be three slides. I'd urge you to take a picture of the slides and get a jump start or make some notes on this, but, but we'll walk through these. Let these soak in about love. Psalm 136.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Romans 5:5 5, 5 says. God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And Ephesians 3.19 says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand.
1: The scriptures for significance are John 1.12. To all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. John 15.16 you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. In Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece.
0: About security, Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. John 16.33, Jesus would say, I have told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world. And then finally Romans 8:39 says nothing 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 can ever separate us from the love of God.
1: Just one final thought. I'd like to read John 10:10 10, 10 again but this time read the entire verse. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There is an enemy, the thief, who does not want you to hear this information today. He would love to steal your joy, kill any understanding of what it means to be found in Christ, and destroy your relationships. Walk away today knowing You are loved beyond measure. You have significance and purpose in this world, and it is under his wings you will find refuge.
0: Marie and I worked with uh, Mark to find a song to close with today, and we found one that I, I have to tell you, whether you sit or stand, whether you listen and absorb, or whether you sing, please let the lyrics sink in. It nails the last thirty minutes. Let it deeply sink in. And again, if you're, if it's best for you, just just listen, watch. If it's best, belt it out from your soul. But let this deeply sink into you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll sing this song together. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for, as always, for your presence here. Thank you always for your truth, your profound truth that offers us uh, such freedom, offers us such a life, such goodness. I pray in this moment that, that the song we're about to sing together, we will let you take these words and embed them in our hearts so they'll be so deeply rooted that they can grow and we'll begin to live in this freedom, this life you have for us, finding love, significance, security in you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.